I just really wanted it to be a resource for Native and non-Native people to kind of dig deeper into what this relationship means and how we can connect with the land and food plants to improve our health and improve the longevity of our community. Welcome to the Stories for Action podcast, where we speak with folks taking bold actions for a thriving planet. Our aim is to bridge divides and provide calls to action to help you find your role for positive impact. Today, we'll be speaking with Rose Bear Don't Walk. Rose is an ethnobotanist who is a Fellowship for the Future recipient through the organization 500 Women Scientists. Through this fellowship, she's working on her program, Recovering Our Roots, which aims to share the knowledge of local plants as a means for food sovereignty, improved nutrition, and cultural reconnection for the Salish tribal community in Western Montana. Rose holds a BA in political science from Yale University and a master's of science in environmental studies from the University of Montana. She speaks with us about the importance of indigenous food sovereignty and her journey in connecting with the power of plants. So I grew up on the Flathead Indian Reservation in Montana. I live in St. Ignatius. I grew up here um, pretty much my entire life, went to high school there, and spent quite a bit of time in between uh, the Flathead and the Crow Reservation in eastern Montana because that's kind of part of my family. I'm Salish and Crow uh, from my grandma and my grandpa's side. So those are kind of two cultural pieces that are really important to me. And then after I graduated from high school, I went to Yale University and I got a BA in political science with a focus in environmental policy. Uh, And it was there where I really started to dig deep into food systems and just kind of learning about social issues and economics of uh, food system really entails. And I don't think I really understood what was happening within my own system, food system at home, uh, particularly of my tribe until I went away to the East Coast. You know, I realized that I lived in a food desert. Um, an area where there was less access to nutritious, local, healthy, and culturally relevant foods. And even though I had been brought up knowing some of the ways that the Salish prepared foods and harvested foods, the access to more general healthier foods was not as available. And I really started to understand that how the food system pans out really shapes our health. And I think that for American Indians who have some of the poorest uh, rates of health in the country, the food system largely had a big role in that. And so when I was researching, I was like, okay, so these are the political, social, and economic issues of how our food system was shaped by westernization and colonialization. But then, you know, what are some strategies and ways that we can fix that? So. My undergrad was very focused on politics and policy and laws and how history has um, created the food environment that we live in now. And then when I came back to Montana, I really wanted to find ways to mitigate those health issues and food issues 
I wanted to kind of further my education a little bit. So I wanted to do a master's program. Um, I started a master's program in State University of New York, Syracuse, and they had a program in biocultural restoration and traditional ecological knowledge. And I took a class uh, called Plants and Culture. And it was through that class where I was just like, there's a whole world of plants and relationships with plants that I did not know about or fully understand. And it's very cool. And it kind of circled back to this idea about food issues and health and connection to the land and um, you know how we as indigenous peoples have kind of lost that connection over time. So I was like, okay, I want to study the food plants of the Salish. And so in New York, that's not really a place that I could do that kind of more hands-on. So I moved back home and I uh, transferred to the University of Montana where I enrolled in their Masters of Science program in environmental studies. And it was through the instruction of Dr. Rosalind Lapierre, who is an amazing Blackfeet ethnobotanist, I specifically studied the food plants of the Salish people, their relationship to the plants, you know, how they're used, how they're known, what stories are associated with them, kind of just merging the cultural and the scientific. So um, bringing botany and Salish traditional ecological knowledge together for my thesis. And I graduated in December of 2019 and have my thesis published and just really wanted it to be a resource for native and non-native people to kind of dig deeper into what this relationship means and how we can connect with the land and food plants to improve our health and improve the longevity of our community. Congratulations on publishing your thesis. That's Thank you. An understatement to say a lot of work. So congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> and you were also awarded the Fellowship for the Future from the organization 500 Women Scientists to work on your program, Recovering Our Roots. Can you speak to what that program will entail? Yeah, so indigenous people and the Salish people were probably among the first scientists around. And a lot of the knowledge that we gained was through trial and error and hypothesizing and just really trying to understand the environment around us on a deeper, more intimate level, which I think science is kind of lagging in at least Western sciences. And so I saw this 500 women scientists program and the fellowship for the future is for women of color in STEM who are doing science-based projects to promote social equity and mitigate inequality in the science fields as well as um, just kind of increased diversity in their fields. And I am with a group of extremely talented women of color and I have just already learned so much from them and from the environment that 500 women scientists promote. So with the fellowship, uh, I was hoping to do some ethnobotany uh, centered workshops on the reservation, as well as kind of build an educational knowledge base, either through a website or through some educational materials to be distributed and accessible to Salish people on traditional food plants. 
but COVID happened and so I couldn't really do the workshops. I'm still in the first year of the fellowship. The fellowship is two years and I think that might be something for next year, but we're we're kind of playing it by ear. But in the meantime, I'm still just doing my own research, going out, trying to take pictures of plants, uh, note their environment, see where they are, do recipe testing, things like that. And then every other week I have a newsletter that I release to the community. And it's basically just the same things that I would cover in a workshop, but in a safer environment. And through your work and what you've witnessed, what are some promising and inspiring things you've seen happening nationally in regards to the indigenous food sovereignty movement and the reclaiming of that knowledge? So a lot of tribal communities are really taking hold of this food sovereignty movement. And food sovereignty is basically just the right for peoples to have access to healthy, nutritious, and culturally relevant foods. And for tribal communities who are inherently sovereign, how can we provide the infrastructure and the ability to feed our people the foods that we had traditionally eaten for thousands of years. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of um, growth in those areas. And there are tribal communities that are starting farms and agricultural enterprises. There's a handful of indigenous chefs around that are kind of making indigenous foods more accessible to their populations, but also the broader communities um, and just showing them indigenous foods are delicious. They can be you know, considered a cuisine and something to kind of, you know, hold their own in the culinary world. And that's been really exciting for me to see. I went to a First Nations Development Institute kind of training on, you know, how to do food sovereignty assessments, how to increase food sovereignty in your communities. I've worked with some of the indigenous chefs um, and how we can use local ingredients to create beautiful plates and things like that. So there's definitely been a large movement across tribes, uh, you know, across America to really bring back these foods and bring back the cultural knowledge associated with them. And it's really exciting to see, you know, where that will go in terms of just being able to feed our communities on our own. And can you speak to the cultural significance of these plants and native foods, you know, for indigenous peoples and what that is for the Salish tribe specifically, you know, that it's not just the incredible value of the nutrition, but also the cultural centrality of these plants and these foods. Yeah, so, you know, in in today's modern world, there are people still on my reservation that fish and hunt and still partake in those particular activities. But as far as the other supplemental piece of knowledge and food, traditional plant knowledge has kind of been diminished in how we exercise our own food rights here. And it's, it's really interesting that that's a kind of piece of knowledge that's decreased a little bit because when we talk about our creation stories for the Salish in particular, you know, the, the animals and the plants were here long before the humans and they coexisted on the land to really understand how to live and how to have symbiotic relationships. And so when humans arrived, the, the animals and the plants taught us everything that we know about 
being Salish. And so plants and animals and the land basically pre-exists our existence as humans. When we interact and understand that on a deeper level, we know that, you know, plants are not just here to supplement or nourish us in the sense, you know, because they provide the extra vitamins and nutrients that game and fish can't, but they are also our relatives and we greet them as relatives when they blossom in the spring or they come back because, you know, it's never guaranteed if they will come back into our lives. And a lot of our processing methods and prayers and stories teach us that, you know, we need to honor that relationship and honor the plant and honor this connection we have to it because if we don't, we could lose, we could lose them and they could turn away from us or, you know, not come back the next year. And so when we think about, you know, recovering our roots, it's really just reconnecting with this deep, deep foundational relationship that the Salish have had with plants over time and what that really means for us to coexist and to grow so that we can understand their value and ensure their protection for the coming years. Absolutely. And an important message for all of us, you know, to continue to um, hold through in our personal and professional lives. And as you were saying, you know, Native Americans and Indigenous peoples were truly the first scientists, you know, for thousands of years through their testing and experimenting and the plethora of medicinal plants that they used to treat their ailments. Um, you know, when we look around and learn about it, there's truly a pharmacy, you know, in our wild spaces with these native plants. And a lot of it has also been worked into Western medicine, thanks to the background research and knowledge of native peoples. Can you give us some examples of some of those plants that are specifically found in Western Montana in the traditional homeland of the Bitterroot Salish of plants that were also used for their medicinal properties? Yeah, I think so to, you know, to start off, the reason that I focus specifically on food plants, you know, in my research and, and my thesis was that I believe that food is medicine. And I think that's uh, an ideal that a lot of people are kind of bringing into their lives now. But I didn't focus specifically on traditional plant medicines because I know that there's been a lot of um, pushback from our elders and from our community that there's a potential for medicines in particular to be abused. And if they're not used in the correct ways, in the correct amounts or harvested the right way, they can be fatal and they can be very harmful. But I did food because I know that through nourishment, we can start to fix some of the chronic illnesses that we have in our community. So like things that come off at the top of my head, people don't normally see rose hips as being something edible, but they actually have a very high vitamin C content. You don't eat the seeds because they can cause a lot of digestive harm, but it was the, the flesh was eaten for vitamin C and just kind of to improve some um, immunity, especially in the, the fall time and the winter because rose hips are pretty available all year round. You know, that's one of the foods that I think of that are kind of 
medicinal. And then a lot of Salish people ate young fir tips, young pine tips, the kind of like bright, bright green. And those have a lot of potassium and vitamin C as well. Somebody said it was like nature's Gatorade. So a lot of Salish people ate that just kind of like on the trail, on their way going somewhere because it had those qualities that could help them in endurance ways. So you know, that's a food plan I think of. And, you know, we have our general food categories with our roots, shoots, and berries. And so those kind of follow along with the seasons. And right now we're in the berry season of it all, but roots and shoots are primarily spring and summer. No, it's definitely evident in just my walks in the mountains of the bounty of so many different kinds of wild berries that are coming out at this time. It's wonderful and fun to see. And are there any other Salish folks working with you in this program? Or are you kind of going at it solo? Or are you partnering with anybody? So when I did my research, I definitely made a point to reach out to the community. And I just talked with a bunch of people. I talked with some elders. I talked with the, some community members just about their specific relationship to plants and how they knew them and understood them. But at the current moment, I'm kind of just doing a lot of this on my own. And, you know, I get a little bit of help with my family and things like that, but um, I'm not currently partnering with any organization or anything like that, just cause we're in such a weird time. You know, I'm hoping in the future when I do do the workshops, that's, that's something I can do with the culture committee or even, you know, the tribal fitness centers or the health clinics or something like that. But at the moment, it's just me, me and the plants. Yeah, that's that's great. And such important work that you're bringing to the forefront and bringing to the public. And are there any final calls to action that you have for specifically the Salish community or indigenous communities nationally on how to help folks reclaim this knowledge or any barriers that you see that you wanna create a call to action for folks listening? I think the most important thing, you know, at the moment is just kind of being more mindful about your personal connection to food and how that kind of come about in your life. You know, I know a lot of the barriers that we have to food access is poverty and inequality and not a ton of access. And I just hope that in the future, we can start to kind of create food hubs or co-ops or networks between different indigenous harvesters or foragers or hunters and um, you know farms and all of these people that are working specifically with food to find ways to redistribute it and keep it within the local economy. I mean, our global food economy is incredibly capitalistic. And of course, I'm not perfect. Like I still participate in it, but little by little, I'm trying to increase my knowledge and make my knowledge accessible to others so that we can start to incorporate these small pieces into our diet. And I just hope that wild places and spaces can still be protected and understood and accessible to the original inhabitants um, so that we can still practice these things. Absolutely. 
And you mentioned that your thesis is published knowledge to share with natives as well as non-natives, you know, things that everybody can learn from in their daily practices. And do you have any calls to action for non-natives as well, you know, for humanity in general right now, whether it's how to repair the human and nature relationship or how to relate to our food system or move forward in a better way? I think that when I did my research and I was talking to people, we have a lot of connections and memories associated with food and associated with how we gather food or process food or cook food. And I really think that food is a unifying factor that can bring us all together. And, you know, everybody participates in some sort of food culture. So I think that even just getting more acclimated and attuned to how you can connect with your food on a deeper level, whether that's growing a garden. And I've seen that a lot in the pandemic and it makes me really happy. A lot of people are learning to grow their own food. And that's not specific to native people or non-native people. It's just, you know, having a connection to your food and growing something and having something that you can nourish that will nourish you. And I think that's really important to how we as a culture are learning to have value for, you know, for the natural environment. And so I think that those small steps can help and just, you know, simple things like going to a farmer's market or connecting with food growers or um, going out and harvesting or picking or apple picking, like all sorts of things where we can have a better relationship in that sense. And for non-natives, I think it's just really important to recognize that traditional knowledge and traditional ways of knowing and learning and being in the landscape, you know, you don't have to be native to have a reciprocal relationship and gratitude to the landscape. And so just being grateful for that relationship or for that plant, for that animal, opening your eyes to the world around you, I think is is something that I've learned a lot of native people and indigenous cultures have used and that's why they were able to exist and subsist for thousands of years. But it's not something that only they can participate in. I think if all of us had a value for the land and a connection with the land, we would probably be able to have a better world for the next generations. Thank you so much to Rose Bear Don't Walk for sharing your work and that important information with us. Her thesis, Recovering Our Roots, on the topics we discussed today is available for download at scholarworks.umt.edu forward slash etd slash 11494 forward slash. You can also learn more about the Fellowship for the Future program at 500womenscientists.org. Thank you all so much for listening. Please subscribe for more stories and share these episodes with others to hear inspiring action to help you find your role in a thriving planet. You can follow us at Facebook and Instagram at Stories for Action and Twitter at Stories number four action. Learn about all of our work at storiesforaction.org, where our mission is to use the power of storytelling to share human connection and advance a thriving planet for all.